Okay, so uh, for the teaching today, if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible on it and you want to open it up to Matthew 6, that would be great because we're going to read that first. So you can get that out while I'm talking. And uh, I want to just start by telling you um, just a, a little story, something that happened recently in my family. And um, we, uh, both of my older boys, they're 15, 13 years old, uh, we recently opened checking accounts for them. And there's this cool online thing at Capital One where you can open up these checking accounts and you still have control over it as a parent, but they get to make their own deposits, make their own withdrawals, and um, they have their own little card. And it's just kind of teaching them about money. Uh, Basically what happened is they wanted cell phones and uh, we said, sure, you can have cell phones if you can pay for them. So they, uh, now they're babysitting and mowing lawns and doing stuff like that, working for their grandparents, uh, making money wherever they can. And it's been a good experience. But with that, the number one rule for us in our house when we start talking about money and finances is we, we talk about tithing. And so as they started to get their, um, get their checks and stuff, they, the way that they do it is they take pictures on their phones. Incredible. My, my bank doesn't even do that. But that's how they deposit their checks. And so we sit down together and we make the deposit. And then the next thing we do, first thing, is, uh, is we sit down and tithe. And so recently I've, I've set up their accounts on Giving Shared. I don't know if you use Giving Shared on our website. It's a great way to give to the church. It's easy. Um, so I went in and set up a, a Samuel and an Elliot line and hooked their cards to them. And we, you know, recently we were, we were doing this, this week with one of them. And, uh, and he said, man, Jesus wants a lot of money. <laughs> Just kind of like, you know, an off the cuff statement. And, and we were looking at literally $6. Like that was, that was it. Um, and I was like, $6, man, you should look at Maya, the statement, end of year giving statement that I get. It's more than $6. Um, but I was thinking about how that is a human condition. And it's a condition of our heart that we want we want to hold on to everything. We want to hold on to it. So even at a young age, for a small amount of money, there's a resistance. There's, a, there's an inherent resistance. And, you know, money, especially, and material possessions, has this power over our heart. It just seems to have this pull and this, this reach or this grasp. And um, I was thinking about, you know, it's, 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 a, it's like a broken desire in our hearts to take care of ourselves instead of trusting God, whom we cannot see, to take care of us in a way that we can see. I think it's from the very beginning, just this desire to amass and hold on to it. And what I want to talk about today is the fact that this is not about money, okay? That this is about our hearts. And we're going to read Matthew 6, and we're going to see Jesus talk about this. But we're going to talk about how tithing is actually an act of worship. Okay? And so I said, you know, there's more to, more to worship than singing. We think about worship. We think about coming, what we just did. We think about playing music and singing. But worship is so much greater. And actually giving our tithes, giving 10% of our income to the Lord is an act of our heart worshiping Jesus. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, but let's start by praying. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and I pray that you would speak to us, that you would open up your word to us, God. I pray that you would um, put power on the words that I say, God, that they would be anointed by you for what we need to hear today. I pray you would come in the name of Jesus and speak to our hearts, God. I pray that you would allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts, maybe in new ways today. We welcome your presence in this room. Amen. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy. I've had some vermin at my house recently, actually. They are very destructive, yes. Yes, vermin, vermin of the mouse kind. 
have crawled into the air filter of my car and built a nest. Yes, they, don't, they do not smell good when they die in your air filter. And they smell even worse when one loose one climbs somewhere that cannot be found by the mechanic and you just have to wait it out. It's us versus the decomposition. That's the ongoing saga at my house right now. Anyway, too much information? <laughs> You're welcome. Where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And right away, God makes this, Jesus makes this not about money. Right? Jesus talks about money a lot. I think I read a statistic that like 30% of his teachings have money involved in them. Because money is powerful. But Jesus isn't like, man, I want your money. I am so excited to get more money. Jesus didn't create man in the very beginning and say, you know what? I need more money. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create a whole race of people who can make money and give me money. I'll make them give me 10% of the money. That wasn't God's plan, right? When God created Adam and Eve, it was for relationship. We were created to relate to and to worship God. So he says here, I want your hearts. But he knows that in order to have our hearts, he's got to be above money, right? Because money has this power. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in worldly possessions, your heart is going to be there. He longs for our hearts, okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Honestly, kind of a confusing couple sentences, right? In the middle of do not store up treasures, and then what we're about to get to, which is don't serve, you can't serve God in money. He starts talking about our eyes and light and our bodies and darkness. And what's he talking about here? He's talking about when you go blind, you know, is this metaphorical? So, uh, in, that, in this time, ancient Jewish time, they had a saying where they would talk about the, the evil eye. That person has an evil eye. And what they were meaning was if you were looking at stuff covetously or with greed. And so he's taking that and he's also talking about single-mindedness, right? Because he's about to talk about serving God or serving money. And he's starting to talk about how you can't have light and darkness. You either have one or the other. And he's saying you can't serve God and money. He's about to get there. So he's saying greed and the desire for worldly possessions and the desire to follow Jesus and give him your all, they can't both exist. And then he goes further, right? And he says, if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. I think what he's saying there is that, you know, some of us might be like, well, listen, I worship God, I serve, I give my time at the church, I'm kind, you know, I do missions work, you know, but I don't tithe. It's just this one area. And he's saying, no, money is actually such an important area that it can bring darkness to your whole body, all right? So then he moves on. He says, listen, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I have always found this fascinating. This is, in my mind, I've tried to think about it, like if there's another place where Jesus talks about two things that we could worship. And isn't it interesting? Like he could have said, you cannot serve both God and Satan. Like that would be 
right? That would be what we would think of as the opposite of God, as far as masters, as far as people that we would serve. But he, he points out the thing on this earth that has the most likely chance of grabbing our affection, our worship, our heart. He says, you can't serve both God and wealth, both God and earthly possessions. And this is a hard teaching. Listen to the words he uses in here. He uses masters, love, devotion, service. He's talking about more than just finances here. He's talking about worship. He's talking about our heart. You know, and it's not the most comfortable thing to be a pastor and to teach on tithing, right? I know that that's weird and hard, and sometimes we like to get other people to teach about it. You know, it's, it's no secret that, like, that's where my family gets paid is through tithes coming to the church, and that's how I make a, a salary. So that's kind of weird for me to be up here and to be like, hey, we should be tithing, right? So you just have to trust the motives of my heart. And actually, when I talk to people about tithing, it's more for you than for me. Because tithing is a spiritual health barometer, right? Just like I, w- I would teach and talk about, you know, uh, the, what's coming out of your mouth. Like when we talk about, like Jesus says, what comes out of our mouth is an indication of what's in our heart, right? And I, I could teach on the purity of speech and the whole, the whole James passage of, you know, salt water versus fresh water. Like we could teach about that because I want spiritual health for the people in our church, You know, I could talk about using your gifts because if we're not using our gifts, then we're just becoming a stagnant pool. We're just receiving and never giving. We have to be giving and using our gifts. In the same way, I think tithing is... is another pillar of spiritual health. It's a, it's a part of how we relate to God, how we worship God, and how we participate in the kingdom of God on earth. It's, it's part of our call. It's part of our privilege. And so I just want to acknowledge that because, you know, uh, you might be thinking it. So there. You cannot serve both God and money. It's like Jesus is saying there's a choice of the way you live your life. You can either serve God, uh, serve money and run after worldly possessions and let them distract you and make you double-minded so that you're like, I want to serve God, but I'm thinking about money. I want to serve God, but I'm worried about money. I want to serve God, right? Or you can be single-minded and seek the kingdom of God first. And that's what he says. A couple verses later, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Skip down. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all of these things will be given to you as well. Okay. Now you could say, Christian, these verses aren't about tithing. You can't prove they're about tithing. He doesn't say the word tithing in there anywhere. Right. That's true. Yeah. There's not specifically about tithing. However, I would argue back to you that you can't say it's not about tithing. Because he doesn't say this isn't about tithing. In fact, I think Jesus is talking about money and in God's kingdom and his economy, tithing's a part of his economy. I actually think he is talking about tithing. So there. But Mandy always tells me, don't tell us what you think. Tell us what the Bible says. All right? So we're going to go on and talk about what the Bible says. But I think a definite point there is money is the, com- is the competitor for our worship in the earth. Worldly possessions. And we need to make sure that it's not in first place. Make sure God's in first place. And I think that is one of the major points of tithing, is saying, with our money, God, you're first. Like, that's the whole idea of the first fruits. 
we don't have fruits now. Like most of us aren't agrarian, right? If, I've tried to grow corn before. I had a garden out there a couple years ago. I tried to, to grow a line of corn. I didn't know that you can't grow a line of corn because they have to cross-pollinate. You have to grow like a bunch of corn together. It didn't work. I was very successful at growing jalapenos there. Thousands of jalapenos, of which were too hot for anyone in my family. So I'm a horrible farmer. Okay? The only thing I could grow was something that we couldn't even eat. It would have killed my whole family. Right? So, but they were called to give their first fruits because it was the best. Okay? It, it was, it was an, a recognition of God as first in my life. So when, we, when I do finances, when Mandy and I do finances, the first thing I do is tithe. You know, and I do it all on my computer, and some of you have it all automated, but you better make sure that is the first automated thing. Actually, I don't, I don't like to have my tithe automated, just to be honest. I mean, you know, because I, don't, I like to choose it every time. I like to sit down and say, I worship you. And I pray. I'm not, I try not to be religious and legalistic about it, but I pray. God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you that all I have to give back to you is 10%, right? All the money comes from God, right? But I have a job and I work really hard. Yeah, but who gave you that job? And who gave you that skill? And who gave you the breath in your lungs? Who gave you the ability? God is the giver of all good things. And then he only asks for 10% back just to make sure that money doesn't become our God. Right, so the first thing I do is I, I you know, I get onto the, the website and I give that, that tithe and I pay the rest of my bills. See, you could do it differently. You could not make it the first fruits. And that's the difference between Cain and Abel. If you remember that story from the, the early, you know, early Genesis, the sons of Adam and Eve, and they both gave offerings, but one gave the best and the first and the other just gave kind of whatever was convenient. And God wasn't pleased with that. You know, if I was like, okay, I'm going to pay my mortgage first and my bills, and then I'm going to buy food throughout the month, which is like, you know, with six people is a lot. Um, if you've ever shopped at Costco, it's like you can't leave that place with spending less than $200. Have you ever noticed that? You're like, I only bought cereal, you know? We eat a lot of cereal. Um, if I, and then like the month goes on and stuff happens. Doesn't stuff happen? Like if there's money, like it goes. That's why budgeting is so important. Side note. Right? If you don't tag all your money purposely for something, it'll just go. It just finds things to spend itself on, right? So by the end of the month, if it was time to tithe, I would, I would probably, honestly, never tithe. Because I define tithe as 10%. That's the meaning of the word tithe. It's tenthing, right? Literally. So I would probably never tithe. I might not give anything. Because you get to the end of the month, you wouldn't have any money left. So in that economy, who comes first? Me. My desires first. That's why it's the first 10%. It's the first that we give. So I want to talk about how this is, um, how important this is and how this is worship. Deuteronomy says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Isn't that worship? When you're worshiping, the heart of worship is Jesus, you are first. Right? Jesus, it's also allegiance or devotion. Jesus, you are mine, right? God said, they will be my people and I will be their God. There's, there's, you are my God. My life is in your hands. I trust you. So I want to talk about a couple points and show, and just talk a little bit more about how tithing is an act of worship. Then we're going to have a couple people come up and give testimonies. So first, 
Tithing puts God first. And this is probably my favorite story in the Bible about tithing, and it's a weird one. I love it. It's, no one can totally explain it. So Abram, before he's Abraham, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, and God used that as a miraculous beginning to uh, the nation of Israel who throughout the Old Testament is kind of a, a sign of what the New Testament church will be, our relationship with God, with God will be. He also used Israel as a way of revealing himself to the world. Israel was called to be a blessing to all nations and to teach uh, about this one true God. That was the big revelation, right? Who's compassionate and grace, gracious and slow to anger and quick to love. That was the revelation, part of the revelation that came through the Israelites. And then eventually Jesus came through the Israelites. And now he is the perfect representation of God. And that became available to all people. That's the Bible in 45 seconds, right there. All right, so that's Abraham. He's, he just defeated a bunch of kings. And this guy shows up out of nowhere. Melchizedek, Genesis 14, king of Salem. Look at all the foreshadowing of Jesus here. He's the king of Salem, which was early Jerusalem, right? Jesus is the eternal king of Jerusalem. Brought out bread and wine. Interesting, kind of communion-esque, right? He was the priest of God most high. That's also interesting because you couldn't be the king and the priest, right? Anytime in history the king and the priest are the same, you get trouble. So God had them separate in Israel except for Melchizedek and one other person, Jesus. Yeah, he's the king and he's the high priest. And actually, you can read and study like he's in both lineages. It's so cool. And he blessed Abram and he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, the creator of heaven and earth. Praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram bowed down and worshiped him. Well, not really. I mean, he did, but he did it practically. Abram's response to this great blessing was to give him 10% of all the plunder he just had. I mean, and this is such an interesting event because, guys, this is before the law even happens. Way before it. So there's this idea of worshiping this. Now, whoever this guy is, you know, most commentators think he's a representation of Jesus at the very least. Some people think that he is Jesus, like a pre-coming-to-earth of Jesus. Some people, this is the weirdest one, think he's an alien. I seriously read that. I quickly discounted it. But they thought maybe he was a, a perfect Adam from another earth come to check on us. That's weird. <laughs> All right, I'm going with at least a picture of Jesus. It's very significant that it's before the law. And there's this institution of giving 10% as an act of worship. And the Bible goes on to say that as, um, as he gave the 10%, truly the lesser was blessing the greater. There was this sense of uh, Melchizedek representing God, okay? We'll, we'll talk, let's talk about it some more because I like this story. Hebrews 7, in the New Testament, they go back and talk about this guy. He's only, he only appears once. Listen to the things they say about him. Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. We talked about that. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Hello. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Isn't Jesus our righteousness and our peace? Without father or mother, this just gets weird. Have you ever read this? 
without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. And he goes on, if you read all of Hebrews 7, to say that Jesus is a high priest, not in the order of Abram or uh, Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek, this eternal priest. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. So tithing isn't just some law, okay? Because people would argue that tithing is a, is a, was an Old Testament Hebrew thing, that it was societal, that it's how they ran their society, kind of like taxes today, and that we shouldn't be translating it to New Testament, right? And it's true that the 10% was used to help provide for people who are in need. But you know, if you really read it, there's multiple tithes built into, uh, there's a temple tithe, and then there's uh, poverty tithes, then there's like biannual tithes. Like every year they were at least giving two tithes, and sometimes more than that. Plus they were required to do certain things like keep food around for if priests ever showed up and not harvest their whole field, but leave the corners so the poor people could come get that food. I mean, Generosity was built into the fabric of that society. Think about the translation to the New Testament. Did Jesus make things easier? I mean, this is the guy who was like, all right, all right. So you said, you heard it said, don't murder. That's good. But let's take it to the heart. Don't even hate. Let's make it more, right? He said, don't commit adultery. That's good, but let's take it to the heart. Don't even lust. So what? What is he expecting of us for generosity? I mean, he never like finished that sentence, right? But like, what is he expecting of us? I mean, I think tithe is probably the bottom line. I think it's probably the launching pad. And I know, like, I know there are people in the room who are like, Christian, you don't know how hard it is for me to even give 2% right now. You have no idea what we're struggling with. And I, I understand, I hear that. And listen, I believe God has given this church financially wise people who will help you. If your heart is, I want to give to God this tithe, these people can come alongside you and get you there. Because right? it is, it's about our heart. But I believe that this tithe is, a, is a, a jumping off point. So it is saying, Jesus, you are first in my life. I'm making you first so that money doesn't become first. It's also saying, Jesus, I am yours. Like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Tithing is like saying that with your money. It's another act of worship. I want to show you how this happens in Genesis 28. So tithing shows devotion. Jacob is a descendant of Abraham. He kind of goes on a journey, okay, to spend some time. I think he's kind of seeking God. He falls into a dream. And then while he's sleeping, he writes this awesome song. You've probably heard it, Stairway to Heaven. You heard that? He writes that song. Just kidding. Got a little bit of a bigger laugh at the nine o'clock. <laughs> All right. Uh, so he has a dream about a stairway to heaven. Jim, can you play that for us later today? I know you got it. All right. So in this dream, God appears and there's this ladder from heaven to earth. And he's saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out descendants upon you. And this is Jacob's response. Jacob made a vow saying, now listen to how similar this verse sounds to Matthew 6, Jesus talking. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. Remember Jesus said, why do you worry about the food and the clothes? So that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. 
See this devotion. You will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. Worship. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So interesting, isn't it? This is an allegiance to God. It shows who is your God. Right? Uh, I think, I think, I mean, I can't remember who said this. I want to say it's John Wimber, but somebody said, uh, show me your checkbook and I'll tell you who you worship. Right? And so when you give your 10%, people are, some people in here are like, what's a checkbook? Um, yeah. <laughs> somebody said that way back, like in the 1800s. Um, when, when, you, when you give this 10%, you're saying, God is my God. Right? You're, you're putting him first and you're saying he is our God. And let me just say one more thing. Where do we bring this tithe if not to a place of worship? Right? I'm just trying to really beat the drum here that tithing is worship. Okay? When, when they were giving the tithe, it was brought to the temple, a place of worship. It was, it was part of their worship routine. Rick Warren says this. Where should you tithe? Do you tithe to the United Way? Do you tithe to your brother who's been out of work for three years? No, that's charity. Or we might call that offerings. Tithing is an act of worship. And it goes to whom? It goes to God. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you earn. Test me in this, says the Lord all-powerful, and I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out all the blessings that you need. The storehouse is the temple or the place where you worship God. This is what it's about. It's about worship. It's an act of worship. All right? So real quickly, what it's not is it's not legalism. Listen to this. Jesus in Matthew 23 said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. Ah, can you just see how angry he was? He's like, I trusted you. Your job was to teach this stuff right. And you've turned it into all this Stuff it wasn't meant to be. I feel like tithing was meant to be an act of worship and they turned it into an obligation. They said, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. He's saying, you guys get so detailed and specific. Like, but you've neglected more important things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. You should have tithed without neglecting no, wait, what's latter and former? Does latter come first or does former come first? Former's got to come first, right? All right, so you should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former. You should have kept tithing, but added to it justice and mercy. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Now, I was reading about this. That would have gotten a huge laugh, apparently, all right? Because like, they had these dietary regulations, and they would have pictured people drinking wine— and finding an insect and straining it, pouring it through uh, some mesh to get the gnat out because they didn't want to eat the gnat because it wasn't bled properly as meat had to be before they ate it. A gnat, right? So there's been this guy so specific. And then turn around, you know, just like bit into this camel, right? And he's saying, you're just legalistic. You've lost the heart of tithing. Now, interesting that he puts those two together. Because did you know, like 20% of the American church tithes? Now, I, man, I was going to get these numbers, and, and somehow I just didn't, but I have a couple of them in my head. Um, 
This is from a mag- uh, uh, an article in Relevant Magazine that I read in 2013. Uh, so you can look it up on your own to verify it. But it's, if, if the American church alone all tithed, we would raise enough money to end world hunger in like two years. That's astounding. It's like $50 billion. And I read this and he goes down and say, it would take us three years to end this disease. It would take us one year. Like, so in 10 years, we could solve all the world's problems. And then what would we do with that money? I don't know. You know? Evangelize. Wouldn't have to. Because we'd be solving all the world's problems. It's really amazing, isn't it? So when you disconnect tithing from loving and serving God, it becomes a law and a burden and a requirement. That was never what God wanted. Okay, and that's where some of the New Testament writings about, you know, give from your heart, give cheerfully. I think that's where they're, they're hitting some of that. They're coming out of a culture that had made tithing oppressive and they're trying to loosen up generosity. And, you know, but if you read Paul, I mean, he's pretty hard-nosed about generosity too. He, he really is, you know, he really questions uh, the churches who gave one year and give less the next year. He's like, what's going on? You know? Okay. So what I want to do is I want to have uh, Nina and Jim, is that correct, are going to be sharing. Uh, and I just asked a couple people at each service to share a testimony of how tithing has affected their life or how it's been like an act of worship for them. So you guys come on up and um, want to just hear, because you guys hear me talk a lot and God's working in everyone's lives in this church. So who wants to go first? Yeah, neither of you is ever going to volunteer. All right, uh, Nina, you're first. Okay. Um, This morning I opened my Bible to Psalm 19 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies declare the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they declare knowledge. And I actually have been thinking lately just about worship and how when we worship God, it's kind of like telling the truth to ourselves. Um, That, you know, when we're worshiping, we're participating with the whole universe in declaring God's praise. And it's like in that process, we are setting something right inside of our hearts because that's the truest thing that like we were made to worship God. And I feel like tithing for me is the same thing that when I tithe, I remember that God is my provider and you know, though I work really hard, I actually can't provide for myself. And uh, just as like a bit of testimony about that, like 15 months ago, my husband and I separated and we're divorced now. And, you know, most of our marriage, we tithed. Um, but I don't really think I've tithed since then. Um, but, and most of our marriage, I probably made like 25% of the money that we needed to keep our family afloat. And to be honest, that's like, I still make that amount of money. 
and um, my ex-husband doesn't work anymore and he doesn't provide for us in any way. And, but somehow, you know, every month my bills are paid and my kids, we have a roof over our heads and we have food to eat. And that is just, I can't explain that except to say like, God is so very kind to us. Um, and so, you know, when I do give to God, I just remember that like, I, I can't do this. You know, God, I think it's in Psalm 68 where it says that like God waters the earth and the sun shines and out of the bounty of that, he provides for us. And so I, when I tithe, I feel like it is like worship because it's telling the truth to myself again and again that God is my provider. And though I work hard, I can't provide for myself. And it's just a great opportunity to remember, you know, the way things really are. Like, this is how it was meant to be that God is our father and we are the children or, you know, he's the shepherd and we are the sheep. And, Every time we write a check or pay online to the church, it's just remembering the truth and proclaiming that to ourselves. And it's kind of like taking medicine in a way to just like set things right. Christian asked me to give a testimony and nowhere in here do I use the word worship, but I use the word blessing. So maybe that can be kind of the same thing. Sorry, Christian, I forgot about that part. God is good all the time, even when we don't like the process or the outcome. He's still good. Tithing is something where we may not initially like the process, but we definitely love the outcome. Blessing upon blessing. Tithing is a paradox. It is made of two opposite things that seem impossible. I was so blessed to have a wife who loved tithing. She encouraged me to tithe even though I thought it was not possible. She helped me to see it was not only possible, it was necessary. We struggled financially as a young married couple until I changed my heart and my mind. Once I committed to tithing with all my heart, the blessing started. I got raises on my job. Whenever I got laid off, which was pretty frequent, I always got a better job every time it got to the point, uh, every time, sorry. <clears throat> it got to the point where I would come home and tell Trish I was getting laid off and she would rejoice <laughs> because she knew the blessings were coming. We became so blessed that Trish was able to give those blessings to others. She bought and gave away five automobiles, countless toys, clothes, books, meals, space in our home. She taught me that all the blessings flow from the Lord, and we are just his stewards. I encourage all of you to follow her example and tithe. Thank you. You know, I think it's just so cool. Um, I, I mean, that, I just kind of follow, when I pick people, I just kind of follow, like, names that come to me as I'm praying. But it's really, thank you so much for sharing from your hearts. I mean, that was like, 
not just, hey, let me talk about money. I mean, that was really a, from your heart and real, and I think that's real life. You know, that's, I think that's what, one of the things Jesus is trying to say, you know, is that money is, is a commodity, but it's, it also really is just gets woven into our lives and in, 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 into our hearts and into decisions we make, big decisions we make. You know, it's just such an important factor that just seems to always be there. And I think he, like a good shepherd, like you were saying, is, is built tithing to protect us from it taking over our lives because it is everywhere. And he, and he built that as, as like a safeguard against that for all of us. And so um, we want to pray for you if you want prayer. So let's stand. We're gonna, we'll, we'll close in prayer. Um, I would love for you to be able to respond uh, to this. Um, yeah. So if God is moving in your heart and you would like prayer in any way financially, if, you, if you've been doing well and you want God to bless that, if you've been struggling and you want God to, to bless that, um, you know, we'd love to pray for you. We also, you know, we pray for people who are, are sick and hurting. And that's a value that we have here. So if you are sick or in pain or have an injury, we'd love to pray for God's healing. We, we know God heals. His power comes and heals people. So we'd love for you to come forward and get prayer for that. And if you're looking for any sort of direction or, or God just to speak into your life, we love to pray prophetically over people. Um, did you guys have something else? No? Okay. So, so come forward for prayer after we finish here. Let's pray. Jesus, we just recognize you as, as first in our lives. We just devote ourselves to you and we love you, Lord God. And I pray that you would just continue to speak to us about what you're doing in our hearts, Lord God, through money and that our money could serve you, God. And we thank you for all that you've done in this church and um, all the, the, the good that is done in the earth because of the generous people in this church. We bless your name. And I just want to pray real quick for financial blessing over the people in this, in this room, God. We pray that you would come. I pray you bless um, every family. You bless every, every single person. You bless every business, God. That you would bless um, just with finances that are overflowing so that we can be generous and do more good works, God. That you would bring abundance unto good works in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So please come forward if you would like prayer.